What's good, internet? And welcome to session 22 of Super GG Radio, where friends chat about video games and bad workday drinking choices and things adjacent to video games. Since two of our hosts are doing Lord knows what, I've called in two space murder hobos to join me. The producer extraordinaire, Steve Dvorak. Hey, Steve. Hey. I was the sound designer for Transformers 3. You should be ashamed. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to say that I am. <laughs> I'll take it. And we also have this week the resident Linux and Rogue expert, Alec Parks. What you're referring to as Linux is actually GNU Linux, or as I've taken to calling it, GNU plus Linux. Oh god, so bored. Also, I believe I was promised a hentai game basket. Not a thing we do? That's not what I heard. Should already be in your inbox. Let's move on. This week, Randy Pitchford is back, as well as some Nintendo Lite and Tetris Deets in the news, get into some Titans and Rogue games in the Backlog blog, and discuss what it means to be a Rogue game with our new resident expert segment. But first, Early Adopters, where we discuss alphas, betas, and newly released games. This week, we're going to start off with a beta test called Bite the Bullet. I was going to say, this game looks kind of dope. And fun fact, because I was Googling it a lot, there's also a board game called Bite the Bullet where there's Mm -hmm. chocolate bullets. I didn't look any further into that. It seems delicious. Are they laced with cyanide? I... (sighs) I don't know. I would assume that they have like the orange and raspberry fillings, maybe like chocolate truffle style. Let me tell you though, you start this game off and the first thing it does, it kicks you in the face with like a metal guitar riff and it's a splash screen of your hero, muscle bound, like two guns just blasting away at zombies. It's a real good first impression. It actually kind of reminded me of the Army of Darkness poster. Yeah, it did. I think he had a bandana on and he was, again... Abs for days, way too many than any human would actually have. Yeah, the they kind of made a big deal about the soundtrack being its sort of own thing, or or something that they're advertising is like unique about this. It was very like it was very metal and had some like grindy blast beaty kind of stuff in there. I liked it a lot. It definitely set the tone. It made me like want to just run down the street punching babies. Which the, kind of, the game kind of has you do. That's like the vibe of the game. Yeah, exactly. So that's a good first impression. It is a rogue. It's not a rogue-like. It's not a rogue anything. I'm really yeah. confused. I don't know what a rogue-like is. I don't know what a rogue light is. But I understand that Alec is going to tell us later. Yep. Oh, I've got a nice diatribe about those. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Because I am very confused. So the game is a lot like Contra, side-scrolling. you got your guy is a little guy shooting. You can shoot at different angles. And you have to go through the world killing different types of zombies and robot fighter planes? Do they look like fighter planes, Alec? They, they kind of remind me of, uh, like, birds more than planes. But, yeah. They're like robot birds. Yeah. What struck me as interesting is you could eat... Everything you killed. Yes. Even the metal. Yeah, even the metal birds. The game has uh, their spin on the Contra formula is the fact that you can eat every every enemy. You shoot them until they get into a dazed state. Then you can eat them for different 
nutritional values that play into your your gameplay. Yeah, you're looking at just three basic ones, calories, fat, and protein. And you have too much fat, your character becomes slow and sluggish, and I assume that there are other benefits, but I, I didn't get the chance to, I guess, eat enough that it, it actually you know made an effect on my gameplay. I just saw the sluggishness of the fat. Did you guys eat any plants? Yes, I did eat a few plants. Those give you more static power-ups, or they tend to, or temporary power-ups. They have additional boosts aside from the uh, calories that you gain. Yeah. And you also, you'll see like you know, buckets of, like I'll say a bucket of milk and that will be, or a big glass of milk and that'll be uh, mostly fat. And, and again, you get these stats that will help as you play. And there, of course, a, per level, there's different goals. It'll say like only eat one of every single type of zombie. Or if you eat a zombie that I believe was rotting, you'll see a, you'll see a green aura around it. It then rerolls the stats on your guns because your guns have uh, different stats as far as they can do secondary attacks or they will do more damage or have higher critical chance. And that's where the all the uh, things that you collect from eating, all the nutrition you collect from eating, gets used. You need to have certain amount of calories, protein, and fat to do different things. And the higher you are for those, the more you can do add abilities or re-roll abilities. Okay. Yeah, and so it does give you, like again, a re-roll stats. Uh, it's, a, it's a common feature, but it's interesting to see this in a Contra-style game. Uh, it looked, the artwork was great. It looked a lot like Metal Slugger Contra, which is, again, some of my favorites. Yeah, it also, some of the enemies and art had, like, uh, uh, what's, what's the mutant, it, was it Mutant TV? What am I thinking yes. of? Yes. Smash TV? Smash, Smash TV. TV. It, it very yeah. much, like, aesthetically gave me a Smash TV vibe, especially, like, some of the bosses. Yeah, it definitely looked like that to me. Uh, the level variation looked good from what I saw so far, but I didn't see it in my time playing. I don't know if that is completely finished yet, but... Uh, from the art design that I've seen from some of the uh, press stuff, it actually looks really cool. It looks very interesting to see different variations. I know in our game, we were on a train, and then we were also in the sewer. Did you make it into a different background or like level design? That was as far as I got, was just the first level, which seemed to be broken up into two stages. Uh, mm -hmm. It was train to sewer, then sewer to train, and I died too quickly to <laughs> actually get much farther than that. Difficulty is uh, part of the game. It's definitely something, because you only have three lives and you do have a, an HP meter, so you have to watch how far you're going, and then you have three lives to make it through a multi-tiered level. So it becomes, uh, you have to survive, you have to get the upgrades, you have to do what you need to do to make it to the end. Well, and so how many, like, hours of gameplay would you guys say that you got in this run? I say, I, I want to say I played about three, four hours. How about you, Alec? Well, I played about an hour to two. So my okay. question is, did you have enough time in there to sort of appreciate some of the RPG elements? That, because they really talk about, um, like, the different class specs that you can do. Uh, I was kind of interested about like the vegetarian one where you can't eat anything but vegetables anymore, but then you get all these buffs. Uh, also, you could you, the, there's like the gore of ore where you only can eat uh, meat. 
Did you guys get a chance to sort of experience any of the variation with this, okay. like, uh, skills? So here is, here is what's going on there. You level up and you get skill points. These skill points go, can be put into uh, not a tree. You know how they have skill trees in a lot of games? This is a web. A web that starts you in the center and splits outward, giving you uh, all these different abilities that you can pick and choose where you want to go. Uh, my issue with it was that it it wasn't innately explained to me in a in in a tutorial, so I was going through and I was making it pretty far without the first ability they give you, which is a double jump, and I had to figure out my own way around these platforming challenges, which became insanely difficult to me. And I was I asked Alec and Getty, I was like, "Is this insanely difficult?" They're like, "Oh, you don't have the double jump," but I didn't know that there was a skill tree or skill web. But the other part is that the skill web is so big, and you, you said that you, there's all these variations, which I would be excited and love to do, but it seems like they're handed out at a snail's pace. So leveling at a, at a certain point became a little, for me, it seemed very daunting. It seemed like that was a huge mountain to climb because I think I leveled up twice and I got five points each. And each skill, or the most, the, the big, powerful, cool-looking, different skills were ten points at minimum. Gotcha. So, I, yeah, so, it it would probably be nice if they made it like scaled it so that the leveling was a little bit faster. Yeah, a little bit more fluid. And also, again, uh, the tutorial on that, which may, may, which again, I'm hoping that uh, comes with it. I'd like to follow up on this one. But it, because it, when I opened that, it was it was a, a big web, and I didn't even realize that that was there until again. I want to say I was playing two, three hours. So, yeah, I think anything with a class skill RPG kind of customizable element, um, the rhythm to the leveling to gaining skills and skill points kind of matters a lot. So it would be it sounds like it would it would be cool to just get more of that. And that might just be a byproduct of the fact that, you know, it just like limited playtime, a couple of hours. Yeah. I, I, again, I would like to dive deeper into this and explore some of those systems. There's also a, a MP mana, whatever a secondary bar is that as you kill, you can transform into a giant beast that can punch a bunch of zombies relatively quickly. So that's nice. Not bad. You're also you that. much more endurant in that form. Your HP doesn't seem to go down anywhere near as quickly when you are transformed. Really? Yeah, I don't think... So I've, I've died plenty of times, but I don't think I ever died while in the beast form. Okay. Did you guys get to fight a boss? Did not get to fight a boss. I did not. Oh. I it's, liked... It's again, it, Pretty, it's a pretty high scale for how, for how the difficulty of that game. Gotcha. I liked, um, uh, you know, if you go to the developer's website, they give you like a sneak peek at what some of the bosses look like. They're pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of awesome how after you beat the boss, your guy is like, nom, 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 and you eat the whole body, and then it's like, bleh, on the scale, and like, <laughs> barfing out all the meat, like, is what brings up your end of level, like, stats. Yeah, because they do that at the end of each section of the levels, too. They have a little scale that appears. You which, barf on it. Yeah, I liked th- That was a fun, silly mechanic. Uh, Getty said that, that w- like any game with a puke mechanic, he's pretty pumped on. 
But it's been a while me, since we had a good one. Yeah. It just, uh, that, it wasn't like a Mario flag. It wasn't immediately apparent that I was at the end of the level. I was hoping for like something a little bit more ceremonious. Like, oh, this is like the end. You you know that this is the end. You made it to the end. I, I Walking up to that scale for the first time, I was confused. Gotcha. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's rocking out fun, man. It's fast-paced. You're moving around. You're shooting. You're killing. You're eating. What do you think, Alex? What's uh, uh, Alex? What is your? Yeah, your see now this final this is one? just going to get confusing. Uh, <laughs> I I'm really excited about it. It's got a lot of potential, and I'm always willing to support any developer who brings a native Linux build. There you go, Linux in the house, right? Yeah. I personally, this game looks really cool. Uh, you know that, like the whole. RPG hybrid styles of games are kind of what I like. So this is definitely a game that I would think about buying when it comes out. It looks really the, awesome. It's it's the you thing know. to remember is that the way that the combat system is, the way that the the weapons are kind of randomized, the drops that you get with different stats that you can re-roll. It's it means that you're you're going to end up replaying the level a lot, so it does kind of get a, like a little grindy. But if you're looking for humor, this is fantastic humor. The wit with the uh, Mater D at the beginning was, it was on point. I chuckled many times during that opening. Yeah, talking to your, the head of your time travel agency, I think. Was it time travel or just space military guy? I couldn't remember. But uh, either way, talking to your boss, talking to your assistant, talking to the janitor who hooks you up, it was it was all really good back and forth, and definitely again made me laugh. Oh, you need a you need a standstill button. That's the one thing I, I that's my biggest concern. A standstill button, so you can aim your shots everywhere. Oh, is it like you just start running and never stop? It's not. I mean, you can stop. Yeah. But it's, it's when when you're playing contra, there's a button to make you. Sp- plant your feet so that way when you're aiming if you're trying to aim at an upward angle you're not running forward as well oh right 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 so i think that i think that's like uh, a big concern for me yeah important important point yeah overall i can't wait to follow up on this one i i want to reach out to the developers and give them some some pointers see if they want to come in for an interview that'd be a lot of fun so alec tell me about this game rogue empire I have never, I haven't heard of this one. So this one came out uh, six or so months ago, I want to say, on Steam. And it's been tickling my eye for a while. Picked it up during the summer sale. And it's got a lot of your roguelike mechanics. It's turn-based. Levels are randomly generated. And if you die, you start the game over. Okay, dude, the, that's that's like the the most brutal of all mechanics. Where like you just can't die at all. Pretty much it, the, but they're also a little bit more forgiving. Most of the times when you die, it is something. It's a learning experience. There's something that you probably should have played differently. Uh, I tend to approach most games in this genre with a conservative play style. Mm-hmm. And going through the story mode, 
It's a 20-level descent through a dungeon, a dungeon crawl, to search for an amulet. And I haven't died yet, and I'm about seven levels into it. Okay. Uh, When playing through the more wide-open campaign that includes an overland map and has much more to it, that one I did die after about... Uh, four levels into the first dungeon. So there are multiple dungeons? In this uh, this uh, adventure mode, that okay. one has multiple dungeons throughout the map, and your goal is to bring down these barriers around all the capitals from the first shadow. That's the big bad that they present in the opening of the game. Okay. And <clears throat> now, what, now, can you tell me what, the, what combat's like? Well, so it's all turn-based. It's uh, the standard mechanic is typically a a bump to attack, um, meaning that you attempt to move into something's space, and that performs the attack. And it's all turn-based. Okay. So you can sit there and decide for a week if you wanted to exactly what you're going to do to try to live through this scenario. This. Pos- uh, this particular turn. Okay, Yo, so it's like a Crypt of the Necrodancer, if you've ever played that one. Yeah, it is, except there's um, their turns are music-based, so you're trying to move on the beat. Yeah. With this, there's no impetus to to move at all, to take a turn. Yeah, in, in, in Crypt, there is, there's a character who doesn't go on the beat. You can do it whenever you want. The bard. Yeah, and then also you don't necessarily like if you were to stand still, I guess they would still move. So yeah, I think yeah, you're right. It is like yeah, the rhythm does come into it. And so that's your basic mechanic. I, I in the story mode, you're playing a particular character. So there's one thing that you're playing. It's a, a your generic fighter type class. Mm-hmm. In the adventure mode, you have an I only created one adventurer at this time and i played through or there were i want to say six different races and six different classes that you could choose from oh they give you a lot of variability yes so much replayability so much variability and i went with a random and i wound up being some kind of uh, human druid Mm -hmm. Uh, that primary mechanic was that you had an additional nature meter that you had to balance between uh the beast side and the human side and you got bonuses by staying more uh balanced but you could alter your play style to be more towards the wild side and you get your stats change in certain ways it's interesting that they would let the game variable that much because it just seems like that would be a lot to balance at once to have all of those classes and then races thrown in there as well. Yeah, dude, this game sounds complicated. It, well, you're only playing one at a time, so you don't have to keep track of all these different classes, all these different races. You kind of end up finding a play style that suits you, a class that suits you, and then you'll tweak with races and stuff to suit your play style. In a lot of other roguelikes that I've played, I typically go with a rogue class that Mm -hmm. will involve sneaking, turning invisible, 
being quick, uh, typically your quicker characters will get will actually have two turns before most other things get one turn. You're using a behind-the-scenes energy system to determine how often they got to move, or in this case, attack. Yeah. Okay. And then just overall, you're 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 going through the story mode, but also there is the. Uh, I mean, you have the story mode and then adventure mode. Uh, which one do you favor? Do you, uh, usually? So I haven't done the story mode more than once, but it really goes more towards adventure mode for me because every time I play it again, start a new character, it is going to be different for me. I the first level of the dungeon is not going to be the same as last time I played. Typically, okay. these do have okay. uh, with the randomness. They have some limiters i guess would be the way to phrase it that you're not going to wind up seeing something on the first level of the dungeon that would also be at the end of the game you're not going to walk up to something and it's going to absolutely slaughter you and you've never had a chance oh and the same kind of goes for uh, weapons and armor and spells and things like that that you're going to find those are also going to very based off the depth of the dungeon that you're on. Yeah, it sounds uh, pretty interesting. I, I looked at it. The art is very. Sp- it looks uh, sprite. It's pretty spritey. Yeah, it, it's kind of tile sprites. Yeah. It. I like. I like the look of it. I. I had not heard of this before. It, it's been one that I've kept yeah. a good eye on. These always pique my interest. I don't have a lot of time to hit with progression mechanics for that most of your games. Uh, nowadays have and Mm -hmm. so knowing that i can play for half an hour and either significantly progress or have to start all over again it it appeals to me me and joel have discussed that at a certain point age kicks in and time becomes the biggest commodity when you're gaming and so there are a lot of games that if if a game will start to waste my time it's it's like okay that's it but a game that can i can sit down with get a 30 minute 45 minute session in and then walk away and then come back and know what I'm doing it's that's that's gold for me yeah and that's the wonderful thing about this genre is that you also there's meta progression in a lot of these things that will transfer through runs that the game gives you but then there's also because the mechanics are the same and it's different every time there's your own knowledge that you get like you realize oh you know maybe I need to slow down on how quick I'm going th- deeper in the dungeon or maybe i need to speed up how quicker i'm going deeper in the dungeon because i'm spending five hours killing things that are not giving me any experience or better items and i'm just not progressing i can't i have too many time wasters (laughs) yeah you got a lot of time wasters on your i got on your plate i got warframe dragon ball fighters uh I, i cut out monster hunter so that one's out overwatch uh, Rainbow Six Siege. See, I I almost put Warframe in uh, not a time waster category because it's pretty quick to go through a mission and get some form of progression. It is quick, but there's a it invites you to spend a lot of time, that, which we can't. That is very true. Have an official discussion about it yet, but it's more the fact that I'm never going to be. I'm never. I'm not going to beat. I'm not going to get everything in Warframe. So to me. It is just this, okay, I'm just going to be going forever. And that's where I say it's like a time waster to me. I'm like, I'm going to go do a mission. And then I've, I finished a planet. And I'm like, great, there's only like seven more. 
Yeah, it seems like discovering the whole galaxy is a very far away thing. It definitely is. I, I've been lucky enough to have other people playing that I can just piggyback off them and, as it's referred to, get taxied around. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've done that. Hey, hey, Steve, I'll taxi around later. Okay. Speaking of time wasters, that was harsh. But uh, we played Dr. Mario World for mobile. Dr. Mario's back in microtransaction form. And with gotcha. It's the best. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know, I don't want to be too harsh on it. I just, it instantly just gets you into the, okay, it's one heart per level and you can run out of those. So you don't know if you need to pay real money. Like right with off the bat. this, with this heart mechanic, it was very confusing at first because most games that have a heart or stamina mechanic, if it's that limited, you don't lose it until the end of the level when you failed. With Doctor mm-hmm. Mario World, it takes it away when you start, and if you don't, if you complete the level, it puts it back. Okay, that's not too bad then. At least then you can keep Correct. it. Correct. And I saw tons of premium currency, I saw coins, I saw diamonds you can throw money into. Yeah, the coins, I think it was 4,000 coins to do the gacha, or 400 diamonds. Wait, what's the gacha? Uh, um, It's a term that's used for random pulling of playable characters. So a gacha game is, you know those little egg that you put a quarter in, you get a random little egg plastic thing that you open up and has a toy in it? Yeah. Those are called gachapon. And though oh. that's so in this one, you can put in coins or diamonds and you turn the crank and then you could get a random other like Dr. Yoshi instead. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Or assistance. You. Oh, yeah. Really? So far, the assistance that I have are the Goomba you get at the beginning. I've got mm-hmm. a spike got and a okay. uh, shiny cheap cheap. Or spiny cheap cheap. Oh, I like Do the Goombas have like other medical roles? Like, is it dressed like a nurse or something? Ooh, I would like a Goomba in a doctor's that coat. That would be pretty awesome. Yeah. It looks like only pay, your major characters get to be doctors, and all everybody that you meet along a normal level is your assistant. Very mm. classic. Classic. Okay. Well, uh, it's got. If you've ever played Mario Run. Or they, uh, Nintendo has done two other games, uh, I believe. I can't remember what the other two were. but they, they have a really nice polish and finish to their games. Everything is brightly colored, shiny, very well rendered graphics. The artwork is top notch. But I'm still finding that they're stumbling on their gameplay. The games that I've played at least, I just haven't been like... We did a beginning episode, I want to say five episodes ago, where Getty played the Mario Kart mobile beta. And even that, he said he was, yeah, it was very in your face with all of these different microtransactions. Overall, the game is, is Dr. Mario. You have your capsules. You have your viruses who now talk. What the I fuck? I did not notice it. There were talking yeah. viruses? Yes. Yes, it was, it was very strange and, and different. Sounds Something that is different yeah, from is. this, from previous Dr. Mario incarnations, is that instead of the pills falling and you moving them, they float up. Mm-hmm. And that, well, even if you, they float up, you can go and grab them and move yes. them around again, which I don't, I don't know if I loved. I feel like once I put it down, I should be stuck. But that's, a, you know, that's me saying, like, this game is too easy. But that's fair uh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. got, it definitely does change your thought process on it. But I still failed one, uh, one level that was time based. 
Oh yeah, you know what? You're right. I can see it. There's a vote versus mode I didn't get a chance to unlock, but I can imagine that could be some good times. I did unlock it, but I didn't try it. I I really I just want a simple phone time waster that doesn't require internet connection. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, a tall order. When I went on vacation, I went through all of my phone games and I was like, okay, can't do this one, can't do this one. I made a list and I was like, okay, just so I know what games can I play? You know, what games can I play when I don't have service? And I went through, made a list and I put them in their own separate folder. And I was like, well, these are going to be my time wasters on this trip. Guys, I've literally never played a phone game. I got some games for you. All right. Yeah, we'll talk about Florence out there. I'm game for those games. They've got everything on the phone. Everything. I know, the emails and the text messages. The Uber. <laughs> I, I recently downloaded an app that's a metronome. Ooh. Ooh I've got okay. a ukulele tuner. Nice. That voice modulator that was on there. Ooh. I got I got my like Stardew Valley wiki guys. Nice. And let's not forget the best thing about the internet. Porn. Here, here. I'm getting us out of here. Let's take some of those Dr. Mario happy pills and drift off to break. When we continue, we will have some news. And we're back. Time to hit some news. Or at least the news we want to discuss. The first big item on the news this week was the Nintendo Switch model update. It's not quite the Switch Pro. Just better processor, more hard drive space, better battery life. Does this come as a better buying option for you, Alec and Steve? Alec, well, you go my first. big thing with buying the Switch has always just been how much time do I play it? Like, light was bad because they killed the plug in capability. The Pro, mm-hmm. the upgraded model, maybe we'll see what comes around Christmas time. Yeah, I don't know. I was trying to read up on like what the estimated price point for this would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I talked about it a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago when I was on, or a few weeks ago. Either way, I haven't played a handheld for a long time. And I think, yeah, there's the element of how much time am I going to be able to use it and mm-hmm. where, because since I commute by car, um, commuting mm, time yeah. is usually good for handhelds, but I can't do that. So, you know, I don't know. And as I said before, I'm not super into the controls. My hands are too funky to manage the tiny, tiny buttons. Um, I don't know if the Pro is going to have an upgraded complement of sticks and buttons for a full-sized gentleman like myself. You are full-sized. Especially yeah, where it counts. Yeah, that's, it's a problem. It's a real problem. Uh, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know. For me, like, a, a handheld is tough. And it's sort of... I was thinking about this before. It just, like, invites... Basically, games are, are like, siloed into their platforms. So since yes. I have a PlayStation... It's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, if I want to play Stardew on the go, I've got to buy it for Switch. Yes. So, you know, where, like, if I'm relaxing, 
and like actually doing some gaming, which like, you know, gaming, like you guys were saying, gaming time now is like special time. So, um, it's like, am I gonna spend double to be able to play it portably very rarely? You know, it's like, if it's a game that I really want to play, I want to be able to play it on the couch at home. Yeah. And so, you know, without like a, like a cross save kind of thing, which will never happen between like a Microsoft device and a Sony device and a Nintendo device. It's kind of prohibitive to me. So the upgraded features don't really make a big difference to me personally. I will say me playing the switch, I drive to work and there is downtime at my work or I've, I've actually gone to the gym and rode my bike 10 miles while playing a game. And That's the, not a bad idea. The ability to, the functionality to be able to put it into sleep mode and toss it in my bag and not look at it for three days, take it out of my bag, hit the, uh, the take it out of sleep mode, and I'm right back to where I was. So you like having a DS. That is nice. The Switch Lite is the death knell. And honestly, you know, hot take, I didn't particularly enjoy the 3DS. I love 3DS. my 3DS, you monster. I'm told that I'm a minority. In more than one way, but in this case, I'm a minority for not being super into the 3DS. Did you guys like Dogs? Is that a 3DS game? That was a regular DS game before they added the 3D, and I love the idea of Dogs. Alec, how do you, where do you stand on that? I kind of like Dogs, but they've all died now. I think. That's a huge bummer. That's a real big bummer, dude. So Tetris. Tetris is the next piece of news we have here. Tetris Effect, the hit PS4 game coming to PC as an Epic Game Score exclusive. Before you start, Alec, Tetris Effect, what makes this a standout game, is that it is Tetris to cool, mellow techno beats that throughout, as you're playing Tetris, and it's hard to really see... But if, say, Steve, I'm playing Tetris Effect and you're watching, the background starts to move and change with like a like a visualizer. Yeah, it has like a spacey, psychedelic background so thing. So if I get yeah. motion sickness, I probably shouldn't play this is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. I hear it's great in VR, but it is coming to PC because it was a PS4 exclusive. It's coming to the Epic Game Store. Alec, go nuts. Uh, no, no. The Epic Game Store is bad, and you should feel bad. <laughs> Dude, starting people to. hate the Epic Store. I, I've said that before, but like people, I just never hear anyone like, you know what I enjoy? The Epic Game Store. It's my so favorite. So I really like the idea of the Epic Game Store. Competition is a good thing, but the way that Epic is doing it, I feel is hurting... Hey, those of us in the minority, Alex. Um, <laughs> Steam has done so much in the past couple of years for people gaming on Linux. They have contributed to open source software to give better compatibility to Windows mm-hmm. games. But by, li- by yeah. Epic not having a Linux launcher, by Epic not... By Epic having those 
exclusives, we aren't, it's limiting the ability for anybody who professionally ports games to be able to port those in a timely manner to actually reflect the mm -hmm. Linux market. It's preventing people okay. from finding issues in the compatibility layers of Wine and Proton, which Steam is going back and contributing to. Epic doesn't, other than having a launcher, Epic doesn't have to do any of this stuff itself. All of the con contributions uh, Steam has made to Linux gaming is out there, open, and free for anybody to use and implement. So your beef is essentially that they could make all of their content available to Linux users, but choose not to. That is the big beef, especially the easy anti-cheat is a typical anti-cheat soft uh, protection inclusion that was recently purchased by Epic. They had on their roadmap Linux support, which is huge. A lot of people playing things like um, League of Legends and... Is it the picture of that bear? Yes. Maybe. Okay. You know, that whenever I see companies using their the anti-cheat engine, it has a picture of a little bear. Yeah, that sounds bear. right. Okay. Uh, they were working on Linux support and, through, and Wine and Proton support, but that got axed when Epic purchased Easy Anti-Cheat. I could see that. I've been playing some beta tests on Epic, and I've seen that anti-cheat like left and right. And Valve has their own anti-cheat, but it's not a problem. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what can you say? It's, it's kind of... Gaming is a pretty big business now, and it's sort of like in music, where in the past, the music that was available for you to listen to was somewhat under the control of larger corporate entities, right? And mm -hmm. so games were kind of the same way because, uh, you know, you had a, a relative you know, handful of major developers and publishers, and those were the people who made games that you could find and play on one of your consoles or on your computer, and so now it's sort of opened, you know, there were ROMs so that you could get cracked versions of old games that you can't play anymore. And now you have Steam and Epic where, you know, they're trying to capitalize on this availability of content where like so many indie games, so much stuff is out there. Everybody wants a piece of that. And so they're trying to do whatever they can. Um to actually not compete, to, to lock stuff down, to control elements. And so, yeah, I guess I can see why people get pissed off by that because it's kind of going the other way where, like, things have opened up. You know, we're looking at all these indie games that's, like, really random stuff, but, like, whatever kind of game that you like, you could find something that's out there. And now... With Epic entering the market, it seems like less of a free space and more of like uh, developers or, or these platforms that make the content available to users are kind of like clamping the situation down a lot. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
And don't get me wrong, I'm not going to say that Steam is perfect. Because the other part is that they get, they get then also uh, developers get that bigger cut, which is always a positive side because a lot of these people are doing the you know a lot of crunch time and people aren't able to pay you know and support their families and so them getting a bigger cut's always better um so that's a favorite a point in favor of the epic store but it does come at the cost of some of these users and as you say there are dozens of dozens dozens uh according to wait 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 have, has epic changed it up so that they're paying the developers more to have their content on epic because last I heard, they were like the same as Steam. No, Steam it takes a thirty percent cut, and I think Epic is eighteen percent. Yeah, so that's a pretty it's substantial like difference. It, it is pretty substantial, but I, I hesitate to believe that things are going to change in the game industry for the developers based off of larger cuts. I mean, when there's a game that's made by three people and, you know, the net profits aren't much to speak of, you can kind of split hairs about, like, what a percentage point is worth. But it's meaningful to some extent. I think I'm I'm with Alex there where it's like, it's a substantial percentage and some of these people are really going out on their own, going out on a limb, making those games... So it is nice for them to be able to get that bigger cut. But on your end, Alec, with the developers getting a bigger cut, they still need an audience, you know? So the more people who can get the content off of Epic is important. And, like, which way the scale tips in that, we don't know. It's always a uh, chicken and egg type thing. Either the gamers need to go to Linux and say, we're only going to buy things that support Linux. But I mean, isn't that already kind of the case? I mean, because you technically having Linux. I mean, there are workarounds, obviously. But I mean, it uh, it just thinks that like, yeah, if you're already a Linux user, I don't know how much you're going to be like going. Like, okay, I'm going to really work my way around Windows just to it. A lot of people do dual boot. And then when you purchase the way Steam uh, reports sales is they mark a sale down for either whatever system whatever system you purchased it on or whatever you played the most on in the first two weeks of purchase. Mm-hmm. And so even with that as Proton, it, the, the, the compatibility layer, it will still set, mark it down as a Linux sale. I do think that we're going to see the share, the market share go up for Linux a bit next time they publish the reports. Uh, but yeah. I mean, yeah, at last check, it's like it wavers between two and 4% of total Steam users on Linux. We're not going to see developers massively shift. But one could be hopeful that we remain inclusive and try to look towards including the entire audience. Oh, I'm always hopeful. Oh, I blacked out there for a little bit. But Steve... Borderlands 3. Give me a hype level. Uh, I have a mixed hype level. Because uh, oh, hype level, lowest being a 7, highest being 15. Go. Hmm. I want to say I conservatively around an 11. Okay. That's pretty and here's good. why. Here's yeah. why. 
I, you and I talked about this a little bit. When Borderlands 3 was announced, I was like, whoa. You know, there was the whole like, ooh, it's leaked or whatever BS. Um, but I was like, okay, awesome. You know, this is one of my favorite game series. I think Borderlands 1 was kind of a, like one of those surprise games where... It definitely it, came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. It wasn't really that popular at first. And I remember seeing an ad for it on TV, on television. Oh, really? I saw an ad for Borderlands 1. And I was like, oh, that game looks cool, presuming that it was a shooter. And then when I got around to getting it, I was like, oh, wait, this is a first-person shooter, but it's also an RPG. It's like Diablo. It's like Diablo in that sense. And they did a good job of incorporating... They basically like ripped off some of the best key elements from all the popular games at the time, and then made it into one, and and like pulled it off as like kind of still feeling like an original game. Um, they kind of they kind of started their own. I mean, I don't know if they're the first ones. <clears throat> I don't want to make that claim, but they were one of the beginnings for what they now call schluters, which are loot shooters. Yeah, I mean, Borderlands is, you know, first doesn't matter as much as like who did it well and they did an awesome job at it and so yeah they're kind of the godfathers of the the genre so two i really loved they made some great improvements three all right i'm 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 hyped for it uh it's just that like a lot of the nasty randy pitchford drama Drink. <laughs> <laughs> Randy's drama has to some extent at least in my mind like overshadowed the fun of the release uh-huh. all of the gameplay demos to me looked awesome it looks like it's really great and they definitely tuned up a lot of the elements that I was hoping that they would and they've done the same thing again where they've taken a lot of the stuff from popular games from the time and sort of ripped off them little bit at a time and yeah. stuck it all together into a Borderlands game. So, you know, if it weren't for, you know, Randy's serious indiscretions uh, on Twitter and, you know, questionable kind of legal stuff. And magic tricks. You know, the, the magic it's trick magic thing. Trick. Like, uh uh i you know it's like i don't know it, it he's making so much noise i wish he realized how much it's like detracting from the hype of the game otherwise i'd be at a solid 15 dude they've added the baseball slide they added the mantle up mechanics yeah uh, they've thrown in a little bit of titanfall 2 with one of the characters they you know they just the people at gearbox who work on this stuff they're really good at like pulling in the mechanics and little elements that people like about other things and and just making it their own. You know, the only other thing to me that is another little drawback and kind of related to the drama is they've replaced a bunch of the voice actors. Claptrap specifically. Claptrap particularly. And you can, at least for me, it's very noticeable. I noticed it right away. I was like, this voice sounds weird. 
that doesn't sound right. And, you know, it's not the same person, which I don't know about you guys, but, you know, when you were a kid and when there was a cartoon series and they would change the voice actor of one of the major characters and just be like, ah, yeah. it's just not the same. So that's a little bit of a bummer. But, um, yeah, what they... Alex, you watched the the new trailer, the Happy Together one? Yeah, it came out this week. They're really leaning into the psychedelic visuals. And was that the way it was for previous games when they were like releasing trailers and stuff? I think for Borderlands 2, they did a lot of the psychedelic trailers. Yeah, one one was definitely a little bit more straightforward. I don't really remember trailers that much. I mean, the game itself isn't that psychedelic but maybe a little i don't know but um the people who make this stuff they definitely have a sense of humor about themselves and what they do so yeah it was a good trailer even though it kind of like has nothing to do with the game i also noticed that in the trailer the beginning it has claptrap but he doesn't talk and yeah he doesn't talk in this trailer which is weird yeah and that made me think i was like oh man they don't even have that guy Oh, maybe you think he maybe bailed after he was done recording his uh, promos? No, not even that. I just meant like the fact that they don't have the original guy, so they had to replace him. And now, they, again, people said that's not claptrap. They say, okay, let's just downplay his audio in general. Like, let's just like have a claptrap. And in the game, we'll have the normal claptrap, and we'll just try to kind of downplay what he's talking. You know, they're gonna have him talk as much as he used to to say like, oh, I don't want to talk as much because he's not the same actor. Dude, I really think that replacing those voice actors was a mistake. When you have a franchise like this, where it's been the same voice actors throughout, and it started as just like a more low-budget, cheesy game that people loved, and now you're kind of, you know, to some extent, like taking away some of their favorites. Yeah. Um, Especially... Claptrap, I mean, like, he's the annoying sort of narrator of the game, but it's been that way through two games that ended up being, like, a huge success for the company. Like, man, it would it would have been worth it to, like, kind of pay that guy a lot of money to keep him. Because, yeah. like, anytime, anytime someone is doing a longitudinal series, just like you know, my example with the kids cartoon or a series of movies, you know, we've seen a lot of comic book movies come out, bill a top actor, do a good first one, do a crappy second one, do an even crappier third one, get a new lead actor and just start over again. You lose so much steam. You lose so much momentum doing that. Incredible Hulk. That I, I feel like it's a failure by them to see that the value of keeping the stuff that the fans are really into, like you, you got to keep that. You got to kind of hang on to that. I don't know. No, I completely agree. I think that guy's still filing a suit against Randy after the uh, the reports of an attack. Right, the alleged assault. So. Man, I, I haven't, you know that I sort of avoid the news a little bit, and so I haven't heard any more horrible stuff about Randy. Hopefully somebody, like, took him aside and was like, cut it out. <laughs> no, he's been way more vocal. He just has, 
that he's been or he's been just as vocal. I think it's more the fact that like he just hasn't been up to any shenanigans lately. the The main thing here is that um, he came out and said that it won't have this game won't have crossplay at launch, but they're working towards it. So that would mean crossplay between PC and PS4 and Xbox. Right. Well, did they? Talk about st- uh, like from what I understood, it, it was supposed to have crossplay for Stadia too. Is that the case? Uh, again, nothing will be crossplay at the jump, but he says that they're working hard to incorporate everybody. Usually, that means that PlayStation is holding out. They've been the holdout on most crossplay as of the last year or so. They've been yeah. really pushing back on the and the industry's been unhappy. I mean, based on Stadia's architecture, I wonder if there is any actual crossplay that's necessary for that because it's just streaming a PC game to you. No, it is, but the thing is though is that currently I think there's only three two or three games that PlayStation crossplays with PC. I think that one I think it's Fortnite and I think it's Rocket League. And it'll be Destiny 2. Yes, that's gonna be coming up as well. Yeah, I'm so, sorry. I meant Stadia and PC. I don't think there's anything actually Oh that, that one no, no, I almost guarantee that's straight PC. I guarantee that. Uh, not guarantee, I guess, but I'm almost positive. Yeah, I, I would imagine. I mean, the thing about that's the thing about PC gaming is that like you don't have as much corporate BS to deal with. I think. Whereas, <laughs> like, yeah, you you can see why PlayStation is the holdout, and that's not a surprise to anyone. Okay, that's enough Randy Pitchford this week. Let's take a break before blogging, shall we? And we're back with some backlogging, where we play games that we should have played when we were, they were still in the zeitgeist. Let's hit the blog. Alec, Wizard of Legend. Wizard of Legend is a uh, roguelike, a roguelite game that I picked up uh, a while ago and have been meaning to play it. It's a, it's an action style game. You're playing as, the game starts off uh, as you're a wizard in modern times, and you're going to okay. this museum that talks about the Wizard of Legend of yore and the wizard contests that they used to regularly hold and then you get through the museum and poof you're back in time at the wizard of legend games okay and you're going through you get uh you start every run with four moves you have your basic signature or your basic attack that is a a quick almost no recharge type of move mm-hmm You've got a movement spell that um, the base one is just a dash. And the one I ended up liking quite a bit was you drop down a electro ball at every point that you dash. And then it connects them all and electrocutes anything that was in your path. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, You get a powerful move that is uh, flashier, but has a charge time Mm -hmm. and then you have your signature spell that is also a flasher move but as you chain combos it charges up a meter 
and it will make this signature move even more powerful. Okay, enhancements. Yeah, enhancements. Uh, it's got your basic, you go through runs of this these levels within a castle. You have a <clears throat> three segments, or two sub-segments and then a boss, and that happens three times. And every time the enemies get stronger, get more specialized, and the order of the castles and the bosses change each time you play. It gives it that nice element of randomness. Okay, yeah. And a run can take about 5-10 minutes, or up to, I think the longest one took me uh, half an hour. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. All right, that, that's a good amount of time. And my only criticism of this game is that it's only got local multiplayer, no network multiplayer. Okay, and that's something you would you would want to be playing with like some friends. Online. Yeah, actually, um, after I started playing it on the uh, PC, I went over to a friend's house who had it on their Switch, and that was a blast. Yes, I I've been debating this one on Switch. It uh, it seems like a good like bring to a party. It, it's a pretty fun bring to a party game. Uh, it doesn't have like a so because there is a Wizard of Legend after every boss fight, so every third stage. It says, mm -hmm. you beat so whatever the boss's name is, but there can be only one. And it refills you both to max health, and you have to fight each other to see who's the winner. <laughs> so you're the Highlander? And sometimes. Yeah. Who was your favorite Highlander? Don't, don't ask me. I don't, I don't know this one. <laughs> <laughs> I have no... Like, I it's really don't know. Christopher Lambert? You know, uh, Lambert. Uh, it's Lambert. It Lambert? He's, he's French. Yeah. That makes uh, sense. Christopher... He was also Raiden. Yes, he was. He was. I think my favorite Highlander was Sean Connery because he was playing a Spanish character and made no effort to change yeah, his accent. He was accent. a Scotsman playing an Egyptian <laughs> pretending to be Spanish. Yeah, with just like a real thick Scottish accent. Just like when he was James Bond and he was supposed to yes. be British. Yep. And all of his other movies where he makes absolutely no effort on the accent front. And Never. bless him American for treasure. It. Love that accent. Even though he's, he's not American. And there's only three movies. Only three. Dude. Indiana Jones and The, the Last Crusade. Yes. I guess it's not a Highlander. <laughs> Are no, you I sure, think. though? It could be. Maybe it is. Maybe Indiana was a Highlander. Alec, do you think you'll continue with Wizard of Legend? Oh, absolutely. It's fun to, when I've got just a little bit of time to mess around, pick it up, do a couple of quick runs, see how far I can get with different combinations of spells, and put it back down. Nice. Again, that sounds perfect for my Switch. Do it. Now, Steve, I don't make... Uh, we are all friends here, and when it comes down to the end of the year, you always try to make just internally, the top 10 games of the year. And in my case, in Joel's case, a lot of the times, those games don't even come out at the right year. You know, it's like, oh, well, I've been playing this game even though it's old. Titanfall 2 has been my game of the year twice, once when it came out, and then a year later after when I finished it. Tell me about Titanfall 2. All right, Titanfall 2. This game, as I recall, now, uh, you know, like, I had been out of the gaming scene 
for many years, which this game's release fell in there. I feel like this game had a lot of hype, and it was like highly, highly rated. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, so it's it's a first-person shooter with a twist. They've added the the acrobatics, which are like more common now in shooters. So, like my re-entry to gaming was Destiny Two, and they've added some acrobatic stuff. The baseball slide is like in everything now. And that's in Titanfall 2, uh, along with like the wall run. And they have that little mechanic where you can kind of like scan the area and it sort of shows you where to run. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's to me, like when I watched trailers, mm-hmm. that was a lot of what they showed was like wall running and flying through the air and zip lining. Yeah. The other aspect is the Titans themselves. You, like, get into the Titan, it's like a mech, and now you have sort of uh, a mech control. The action controls when you're in the Titan aren't that different um, from normal. It's a little bit different. It gives you a little bit of a different feel. You're slow. Um, you're, 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 you're hulking around. You're slowly moving. You're hulking. You're slow. You can't jump. But you also have that like special ability menu. Um, and one of the nice things is that your Titan, you know, while your, your human character picks up weapons along the way, like a normal shooter would so does your Titan and you can sort of change your loadout at any time. So it does give you like on the spot variability with how you're playing when you're in your Titan. Um, I think when I was going into it, I was, you know, when you look at it, when you look at the trailers and stuff, it just made me think of mech warrior, which is a serious throwback, which was, you know, you're in a mech, similar concept, but that game played more like a flight simulator than a shooter, mm-hmm. as I remember. Yeah. Um, whereas this, the mech controls are a little bit easier, so it makes it kind of easy to jump into your Titan and you battle other uh, mechs, and you can switch things around easily, and you can regain health as as the Titan pretty easily. My last backlog blog was Bulletstorm and sort of in the same vein. I I feel like graphically they had a similar look Mm -hmm. and it was a fast game. Those those shooters are like a very fast. I also just happened to play a little bit of Doom with one of my brothers on Sunday, which was like ultra fast. Like all these games are like so fast. One day, well, let's talk about Doom, man. Well, let's do that. So the point being is it's fast, not quite that fast, but it's fast. One of the things, and you know, I've been playing Apex Legends a little bit. Yes. Um, one of the things that stuck out to me from Apex, mm-hmm. but that's obviously they drew from Titanfall too, is the guns. They yes. have sort of a distinct sound. You know, I'm interested in in sounds, obviously. I really like the punchy sounds that the gunfire makes. And they're like really high impact sounds. When you get shot and when you shoot others, there's this really heavy 
high impact. That's kind of how the whole game is. It's like heavy, high impact action sequences. And unlike your conventional shooter, which I feel like shooters have gotten away from this for the most part, this is one where you can only hold two guns at a time. And so you're just, you know, they'll populate the areas with enemies that use a particular gun. So if you run out of ammo, you just have to like grab one off the ground and that's your other gun. It's really fast paced and fluid. And to be able to swap weapons is like on the fly is really good. And you also, you, you get your favorites. Steve, I wanted to give you a little bit of history on this game. Go for it. So when the first one came out, they, they said, Oh, this is new IP from this, uh, from this, you know, developer. And it's this mech fighting game in a combat arena. Kill as many as you can. Whoever gets the most kills wins. But you're on a team. There are resources in play. Here's a combat arena. Go. First person shooter. If you kill enough guys, you get to call down a titan. You pick your loadout. That was the first game. Problem with it was that was it. It was go into a random arena and you are now in a push and pull of capture the flag or kill as many people possible. And who wins these two teams Occasionally you see mechs. The The way they spun it was the story was in the background. As you played through these matches, there would be like radio conversations happening in the background where like your commander would be telling you, okay, we're going to do this. And if, they, if we don't win, then this happens. And then whether you win or lo- lose the PvP match, it would go into the next story beat where it's like, okay, now we're going to do this. And so people got kind of upset that there was no story and that their excuse for a story was just PVP matches that just had a radio drama playing in your ear. Then you came out with, that's why Titanfall 2's story is so full and rich with these characters that you care about and you meet new people. And also why it's interesting when you're playing the story, they're giving you new mechs. Those you are the mechs from the first game that you could just unlock from, you know, fighting and, and playing, you know, matches and then, same with the weapons too, there's a lot of favorites in here that if you play Titanfall 1, you'll play them in Titanfall 2. Apex Legends, the Battle Royale game, only Battle Royale, there isn't a story mode as of yet, it's in the same universe, and a lot, and they actually are slowly bringing in guns from Titanfall 1 and 2 into Apex. They've just gone more colorful, bright neon, Borderlands-style art, moving more into cell shading, but it is still that universe, supposedly, and in that case, the, the characters and all that stuff know about what's happened in Titanfall 1 and 2. Yeah, I mean, so for me, the guns being one of the most likable features, you could definitely tell that they, like, I immediately noticed, like, these are the Apex Legends guns. Like, they pretty much ported them directly. And I really do... Um, like that aspect of both of the games. I, it's hard to sort of put my finger on why the guns in these games are cooler to me than other shooters. It seems like they kind of go for a quasi-real, um, but that being said, I don't really know what real guns are like, which mm-hmm. is something that occurred to me when I was playing um, and one of my like life questions right now is I wish I could do a study surveying people who design games to find out 
what their relationship with guns are uh, mm-hmm. just because like where do they come up with you know there's all these games the guns are sometimes such a central point like Borderlands 3 like it's such a centerpiece and in this game too like the guns in some way like have a very crucial role to the aesthetic that um, I just like wonder where they come up with it uh, what you were saying about Titanfall 1 to me was sort of what got me out of shooters. Mm-hmm. You guys remember when like the latter portions of the Halo series were coming out where it went from having these cool stories, which was normal for a shooter. Like you always had a story and then the multiplayer was usually somewhat of an afterthought to shooters are basically only multiplayer. I don't know. You guys maybe remember it was a huge unreal tournament like well unreal tournament was awesome i think and that was based around just only multiplayer i was thinking of brink oh yeah that game was kind of like a huge flop because it was it was like team fortress but you know you you bought it sort of anticipating a story and they sort of like painted a story in between pvp matches yeah like like titanfall one it's like Titanfall 1, and so I get that vibe where you feel very gypped by it. Uh, I'm glad that they kind of came back and, and made a game with a story. Now, that being said, I will say that the intro of Titanfall 2, to me, was very flat. Um, I like a good intro sequence to a game. Uh, and this one was, you have the main character's voice talking about the pilot. Oh, the pilots, they're so oh, agile. Yeah. Oh, they do all this stuff. Pilots, they're always ziplining from one place and then going invisible and karate chopping someone and then shooting someone else really fast. They're so <laughs> cool. I love pilots. I hope I could be a pilot someday. My name is Private John Cole, you know, whatever. Yeah. And that's where it ends. And then um, you open into the tutorial sequence, which this game made me think about tutorial sequences because especially in shooters, I find they come in two varieties. Um, There's the variety that I think is good and the other one that I'm not so into. The good one being... You drop into the game, the story is going, and you just kind of learn the game as you go. Yes. Um, There's like little bits dropped in. What Titanfall 2 does is the other way, which is they kind of try to glue it to the front of the story where it's like, hey there, private, it's time to train. You're not a pilot yet, but I'm going to train you some stuff. Now shoot (laughs) these guns at this target. Now run over here and do a baseball slide. Now do the wall run. Now do the wall run some more. Do some more wall runs. Now zip line. Oh, that was some good training. Do you want to keep training or do you want to go ahead? And then you're just like, all right, I'm done with this. And it's like, oh no, it's time for the Titanfall. And then like the 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 title card comes up. What I thought was was kind of cool is that that training, mm-hmm. there's a, a special trophy and challenge where you can beat it in a, a very quick succession almost without touching the ground and using like I want to say it's like five bullets and just a whole bunch of grenades 
Right. I so mean, ain't nobody got time for that. It's just I've seen I've seen that done where people have like just like oh yeah, I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna learn this course I'm gonna figure it out just like the intro training course it's like oh the tutorial is like a whole challenge in and of itself. Yeah. No, I I can see how some people would be into that. For me. I'm just like a very, very like focused on story and like the smoothness. So the other weird thing to me about the beginning after having that intro was you like land on the planet. You find that other guy that was training you and almost immediately just like, oh, man, I'm dead now. Yeah, you're, you're a training. Pilot. All the good <laughs> training did, right? Just instantly murdered. <laughs> He just dies like almost immediately. Like you're the only one left. You're the pilot now, and the robots like, I am your friend now. Come Does on. Does he pilot. yell at you to let's, get let's in the robot? Them. Get in the robot, Shinji. Yeah, it's like get right in the robot. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> uh, Alec, how far, how how are you on first person shooters? Did you ever get into them? A little bit. It uh, the really the last first person shooter I played was Borderlands Two. They now are really big into, uh, at least uh, the ones I like, they put a really good story and reasoning behind everything. And in this, the you're instantly in this war, now you're the pilot, and the robot's like, all right, let's go, me and you, we're going to survive this, you're going to go and try to do all this stuff. And I am just so pumped to hang out with that, that robot. That giant mech, me and him want a fist bump, we're going to hang out. Gonna high five. He's got my back. I got his back. It was one of the greatest romances ever. In he's like games. that Disney, like a uh, big hero six. But yeah. With Are you sure it's not more like Iron Giant? Vin Diesel. It's a lot more. Because like then you Iron get Giant. Vin Diesel. Well, except for he, he's very. Well, he's not that chatty, but he does say more than I feel like the Iron Giant did. For sure. Also, not played by Vin Diesel. Mm-hmm. But so you do have your your robot buddy, um, and that that sort of becomes the part to to carry you through the story because basically the robot knows a lot more than you. So he's like, "All right, we gotta go. We gotta go find this like higher ranking officer." Um, you go there. You get like a time traveling device from him. So there, there is a lot of wacky stuff where you can turn invisible. The grenade situation is pretty cool. You get like different types of grenades or C4. In these cases, I, I like co- things that make me feel like it's a puzzle. So when I see I'm across a ravine and then there is like six enemies shooting at me and I can use a grapple hook to go behind them baseball slide grab one snap one's neck pull out my gun and shoot the other one and then turn invisible and then drop a grenade and kill four more all in the span of i want to say five seconds that game's pretty good yeah that's what this game is all about is like basically these sort of combo attack sequences but within the context of a first person shooter um the little feature where you come up with like the ghost pilot and it shows you where to go. Yeah. I almost feel like doesn't need to be there. It's almost like kind of makes it too easy. It takes away a little bit. Like you don't have to use it, mm-hmm. but at first I just thought it was like, oh, I was just doing it every time. It just kind of shows you where to go rather than leaving you to figure it out. 
I guess there's like a middle ground there where if they didn't have it, you might just like die a whole bunch of times and get overly frustrated. It's it's more about the fact that like I like I was asking Alec about how what was the experience with first person shooters considering that Borderlands was the last one. Sometimes the story is is so much worth it that having the assistance in there makes it tolerable to get to the next story point that makes you very interested. I know um I had some problems in Wolfenstein, the the latest one, and that game is fantastic and that story is bonkers. You go to the moon and then you just crash land right into from the moon directly into Nazi headquarters and like stuff happens. But it just at a certain point I toned I toned it down because I just like I just kind of want to get to the next story beat. I want to see what happens. I like these characters. I like what's going on. Not in love with some of the shooting. And in this case, I could see that being where so, uh, somebody who's inexperienced just hitting that button, like, okay, where am I? How am I jumping? How am I wall running now? Yeah, I mean it. It's a good conceit for that reason. And games where they're really trying to up the story element usually give you some kind of option or guideline to make getting to the next story beat easier. Um, so overall, I haven't finished the game yet, so I might have more to say. I'm not sure how long it is. Uh, I started playing it on Sunday. Mm -hmm. This was a game that I got for like seven bucks on one of the PlayStation network sales. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a good game. There's stuff that I like about it. I'm not sure what my like final feeling about it is. I don't think I'm as blown away by it as the hype made it. And that might just be a retrospection thing where the zip lining and the wall running and, and some of that other stuff isn't as new to me now, whereas um, it may have been at that time for me it it came down to the there are like a like a bullet storm you have a lot of cheesy kind of in your face like oh trying to be edgy but yeah uh games like doom wolfenstein and titanfall 2 yeah i the way that the game plays in that story the way it goes i know it's a little bit more generic in that case but for me it was about the dramatic set pieces where you'll like it'll be an explosion, you'll jump off a cliff, and then you'll be caught by your titan, and like that kind of cinematic play. Or yeah. um, the standout section for me was you were in a factory that built houses, prefab houses on floor pieces, like a big grass, and then the house is stuck to the floor, and they were laying, they were hanging them uh, sideways. And you had to climb up into a window of a house, and the house is sideways, and then climb up the stairs, and then jump out the window to the next house, and you're in these sideways houses, you know, running from enemies. And it just was so cool that you have to wall run up inside a house that's on this, that, that's tilted sideways. And yeah, and I mean, what's cool is you start at the beginning of the prefab process. And you're following the assembly line all the way through. So it didn't really even occur to me that they were building house. I mean, I think your robot says it at some point, but you realize like, oh, there's like chairs. Now there's a wall. Now there's stairs. Like what? And then like all of a sudden there's grass and things like that. That was definitely a very uh, vi visually uh, interesting sequence, a creative idea. 
And I, I'm not saying that Titanfall 2 is more generic. I agree with you about, like, you have your bullet storm where it's just like, oh, man, like, fuck, let me shoot this guy in the balls with a shotgun. Fucking shit. You know, like, really yeah. cheesy, over-the-top, like, let's make this as ridiculous and gory as possible. I think that Titanfall 2 is much more thoughtful. I would more compare it to like the early Halos, stuff like that. Uh, although right now I might not be feeling like that epically overwhelmed mm-hmm. by the game. It's definitely great in the sense that it's a fresh, fresh idea in the shooter genre. It adds some of that like cinema element back to it. Like we've discussed, like they've taken the idea of like the sound and impact of gun combat, which has just been done and done and done and made it fresh in a subtle way. Mm -hmm. Um, Overall, the art is pretty good and we'll see, you know, and I might be singing a different tune when I get to the end. I can't say because I haven't finished, so I don't know where the story goes and I like the combat as a human. And I like the combat as a Titan. So, you know, I think I feel like I'm going to come into some more Titan combat. I don't think I I think the Titan combat for me is harder, which is good. Like it gives you. Yeah, it just mixes up the challenge and like the wall running and stuff, even though I might not like feels ho-hum a little bit. I don't know. It, It does add something. I think you know, shooters, as I said, the genre to me had kind of gone really flat. You know, it was like I Halo um, 3 took it down and then you had Gears come back. But so like this is this is something to reinvigorate the the genre when it came out. And I think I can really see why it has lasting appeal. And I mean, it was definitely worth the seven bucks. It also isn't, it doesn't overstay its welcome, and in fact kind of leaves you wanting more. I think the campaign was roughly around four to six hours. And like when you have a Doom or a Wolfenstein, I think those were like 12 to 15. So it does like give you the, the gives you the gist. And then uh, the other thing I, I recommend after you beat it, hop on the multiplayer. Just give it a shot and you're like, you're, you're now comfortable with those weapons. You're now comfortable grappling. You're now comfortable. And it just, it's a smooth transition. It's nice. It's a good way to onboard you into seeing what a, lay- a layout would be for you. A loadout to, you know, I like this gun and this gun, and I like this Titan and this weapon. So it's overall just a, a really nice package. The online was a lot of fun because you could make these groups of, like, like clubs and have, like a, like, a guild almost, and then you could just have matches with those people. Yeah, I mean, I, I got the feeling right away that... Apex Legends is a thing probably because they knew that they had hit something good with the multiplayer in Titanfall 2. I'm guessing that like the the multiplayer is pretty good. Six hours to me is too short of a story. I really think it should be 20. That's that's my feel. But it, it... it made sense to me immediately that like, okay, they made a free multiplayer version of this as well, just because some of those design elements that we talked about are so solid. Yeah. 
that it makes for like a really good multiplayer PvP experience. Exactly. With that, let's take a break and stand by for Titanfall when we return in a new segment. Here we go. We're back. And time for a new segment. What do they say when the cat's away, the mice will play? This week, I'm starting a new segment called Resident Expert, where we bring on a guest who we consider our own resident expert in the field regarding video games. This week, we bring Alec Parks, who is our own rogue resident expert, to discuss roguelikes, rogue lights, and let's talk about some of our favorites. I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath. I have no Don't idea. Don't hold too hard or you might pass out. Alec, hit me with the difference between them. So, so roguelikes and roguelites, it's a very large genre. And the difference comes down to personal interpretation. There is a Berlin interpretation that lists what is generally considered to be your high value factors that make something a roguelike. Uh, and in general, a roguelike is something that resembles the original game Rogue that was created when most computers were just dummy terminals connecting to a server and all of your graphics were displayed using ASCII characters. The, I, I know that there one. You go. The high value factors are generally uh, random environment generation. So it's every time you play, it's a different game. Permadeath, when you die, you start over. Uh, Turn-based, grid-based, and th those are your the top ones. There's a few more in there. I personally split the difference depending upon whether there is a meta progression, things that will transfer from one game to another, meaning that I can never really go back and have that playthrough again, that how I would have played can be significantly different because of something I unlock that transfers from play to play, and whether or not it is turn-based. Once, once something is not turn-based, I automatically just throw it in the rogue light category. Okay. And depending upon the type of meta progression, it might still be a roguelike for me for example with rogue empire i will still consider that a roguelike because the meta progression can be turned off anytime you unlock something you can choose whether to do a run with or without it hmm okay so i'm thinking here now between roguelikes and roguelite you're saying lights contain some meta progression you yeah usually okay now, I'm thinking, is, rogue, is Warframe a rogue game? A roguelite? No, because there's not permadeath. When, you're, when you die okay. in a mission, you can keep going. You don't lose anything other than the progress you made in that mission. Okay. So is it not rogue at all? It, it can, no. You could say it contains roguelike elements because it has random... Procedurally generated yes. stages. Gotcha. So the the procedurally generated factor is like 
key to it being roguish. Yes, that is very yes. key. Did I just come up with the third category? Roguish. A lot of things I think have been called like roguish. A, yeah. a lot of games yeah. are said to have roguelike mechanics. Like yeah. you could consider uh, even Borderlands to have roguelike mechanics because the weapons are procedurally generated. Or, or Steve, did you ever play Toe Jam and Earl? I think I did, but that was so long ago. I I I don't remember. But the once you die, you die in the in that game, and then. At the same time, all the levels are completely random. The uh, the presents you get are random. I think the only constant was what that you get a ship piece at a very specific level. Only if and you also they had two but, modes: a fixed and a random. And the fixed one, you would get a piece on fixed levels. Random, they could be anywhere. Alec, what about Cubert? I don't think I've ever played Cubert. Isn't that the little dude that swears at you? I don't think he swears. That was an Atari no. game. Oh. No, it looks like he swears. He had, like, explanation points. Oh, yeah, yeah. His voice bubble is just, like, exclamation, at sign, ampersand, yeah. hashtag. Yeah. Now, if you play, is level one always level one? Or can level one look like something different? I have no idea. I'm just saying things for the <laughs> sake of saying them. <laughs> A true podcast host. Alec, what are your some of your favorite... Rogue likes or rogue likes? Well, so Toe Jam and Earl is one of the first games that got me into the rogue genre, and I didn't even realize it. As you said, it's completely random. Once you die, you die, uh, and who it could take you theoretically what six, seven levels to beat the whole game, or it could take dozens. Yeah, and the re-release the re re-release remake i don't know what to yeah that just no it's a new game it feels very similar it was it hit my nostalgia button quite nicely yeah darkest dungeon is up there on my favorites uh ang band and ziang band really got me into the ascii turn-based uh those have been around for decades and are still in active development oh yeah for me, I like uh, Spelunky. You ever play Spelunky? I think I've played it with you. It's got a, it's kind of got a dig dug feel to it, right? Yeah, you're an Indiana Jones character, and you have a whip, and you go through these Mayan ruins, and again permadeath, start all over. Everything's random. Yeah, that was a good one. Twenty yeah. XX is a platformer roguelike that looks like Mega Man. That's been up there. Oh, I did. I, I didn't know that was yeah. one of them. Yeah. Uh, the the level does layouts are change every time you play, and which bosses you can select next are different every playthrough. So, a uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer would be considered a roguelite. Yes, and for me, yes, and th- that's the thing. Some people will still call it a roguelike, and they're not wrong. Mm-hmm. And people who call it a roguelite are not wrong. It's a matter of where you draw the line, and knowing that everybody's just looking to have fun. Of course, dude. This is some deep shit. Like this is this is like next level analysis of game mechanics. Well, the Steve, I'll, we'll play some of them. I have oh, a absolutely, of them. and the, right. every uh, year. So wait, is is ape out rogue light or rogue like? There's no permadeath. Then it's but ev- every level is always randomly generated. But there's also no carryover either. There's nothing to well, carry with, over. Is if is it turn based oh, yeah. or real time? 
Oh, and it's so not it turn-based. Man, there's a lot of there's You could a lot call of it a roguelite, yeah. theoretically, with it being procedurally generated. Usually they're punishing to some extent. Like, if you're learning how to play the game, don't expect to get more than a few levels into it before you lose that character. Interesting. Um, and then there's okay. this... So I guess it seems like the key or, or like one of the important elements is like you've got something to lose. Like, you know, when your character dies, you'll never quite get nope. that back. That's yeah, the you'll idea. never have that same character again. I guess that is like a really dope idea. And roguelikes are still very active. The, a lot of new games that are coming out or games that are technically still in beta originated from a game jam that happens every year, the seven-day roguelike challenge, which is to create a roguelike from scratch in seven days and produce it. One of my... Which game was that? Some wild um, stuff. A few of them have one of my... There's actually a Doom roguelike. Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, and another one from the same developer that started as a seven-day roguelike and is now very popular on Steam is uh, Cogmind. Oh, yeah. Okay, I know that one. Yeah, that one's got a nice... Um, oh, there's a game for the Genesis that I can't remember, but Cyborg Justice. It's got a nice Cyborg Justice feel to it. Because every time you kill something, you can steal parts to put on yourself. Hmm. Like, I guess, you know, Rogue Legacy is a lot of fun one. Steve, have you ever played Rogue Legacy or heard of it? I, I actually have not. It's a neat platforming game where you're going into a castle to avenge your father and to explore. And there's four different wings, each one with a boss. But when you die, uh, it says that was that person. And then you have to choose between three different heirs he had. And then you get like the next one is his child. And so the more times you die, the more that you, you are killing the lineage of the family. And by the end, they give you how many of the family members have died trying to you know avenge the person before them. That's really interesting. What's, what's cooler is that each one has a genetic trait to them. Some guy's really big, some guy's really small, some guy has uh, IBS, so when he jumps, he farts. <laughs> and there, there's some that are <laughs> colorblind. Uh, yep, so the game's black and there's white. There's one... Oh, that's pretty I interesting. there's one that reverses your controls left and right. Crazy. I like that idea. That That is a very cool idea. And that one has some pretty... What about Rogue from X-Men? No, no, no. Not no. quite. Not quite. But she is she Rogue. Is rogue. Doesn't that make her at least rogue-like? She's rogue-ish. She's rogue-ish, for sure. But not, I mean, she's like fully rogue. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alec, what do you like about these games? Why, why is this your main jam? I like them because the main way you progress is actually by learning and thinking. They're quick to have a run through something and it's a different game every time like i've never played the same run of 20xx or wizard of legend or anything yeah it's it's like a it's almost like a chess match in yeah. a sense it's a, you pay for the game once but you get to play a hundred different games well, that's a pretty good reason. A lot of variability, a lot of replay value. 
It's like if you only ever had to pay for the first Madden, but you got a new one every year. I, I like that. I could, you know, that's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So, with that kind of roguelike discussion, we're going to move Rogue-ish. on. <laughs> Roguish. We're going to move on to our one last thing segment, where we talk about one more thing before we sign out. Yeah, I got one last thing for you. What's that? I don't know. You go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 21 was a great idea. No, it was a mistake. But we should probably do it again next week. Dude, next time I'm, get, I'm the one getting wasted. You all have to listen to me. See, now that's a better idea. I'd go for a drunk Steve. <laughs> I always go for a drunk you Steve. You guys don't know anything about video games. Rogue what? Rogue, rogue everything. Rogue. <laughs> Super rogue. Alec, what about you? Do you got a last thing? Don't do anything I wouldn't do, and don't do anything I would do either. Thanks, Alec. I'll take that into consideration. So we can only do things that you would never have thought of doing or not doing? Beyond the scope. Very narrow. Do things I might do. All right. Okay. Possibility. Or things I might not do. This seems doable, actually. Yeah, that seems more doable. I suppose you could do things I've already done. Oh, you know what? That, That falls out of that scope. But if you've already is that done it, you would do. but if you've already done it, is that something you would do? I don't know. Maybe not again. Maybe not something you'd do again. Yeah. But then it'd be something I wouldn't do. We're getting too uh, deep here. I'll take us out of here. Yeah, I, I think this this episode is turning into a rogue like very random. We're all about to die. It's never gonna come. Life back. is the ultimate rogue like. And that will be it for this week's Super GG Radio. I'm cutting you guys off. <laughs> this episode's already long. Before we go, you can find us on Twitter at Super GG Radio and twitch.tv slash Super GG Radio, where, I don't know, Steve, you streaming anything? I only stream when you ask me to. Ooh. Get that Titanfall going. All right. Awesome. And I will continue to promise to play Auto Chess. And I'm also just... Trying to find out if I have enough time to, like, to sit down and do like an hour and a half of playing two matches. So what you need to do is put it on your computer, on an emulator, and stream it. Yeah. Not a bad idea. If you'd like to reach us with questions or input, our email address is superggradio at gmail.com. And provide a review on iTunes or write the name of our podcast in the bathroom stalls of your choice. I really gotta start writing <laughs> these things before I say them. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and GG, guys. Guys, if you've been listening for this long, like us, rate our podcast, subscribe, send us a message, email us. Any questions you got, comments you got, you got a question about a game, email Alex. SuperGGRadio at gmail.com. SuperGGRadio at gmail.com. you got to say it three times to make us say. SuperGGRadio at gmail.com. <laughs> GG, guys. GG, Alex. GG.